0: This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 425,000 titles to choose from, all compatible with iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player of choice. For listeners of the show, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership complete with credit for a free audiobook of your choice. You can cancel any time and keep the free book, or keep going with one of Audible's subscription offers. Go to audibletrial.com slash japan to claim your offer. This week, I'm going to recommend Plato's Republic from the Great Courses series by Dr. David Ruchnik. I'm actually teaching Republic for the first time on my own, and while I love the text, it's definitely a complicated one. I actually used this course to help me prep for the teaching so I can vouch that it's a really interesting and well-done series of lectures, that help explain one of the most important philosophical texts in the Greek tradition. Go to audibletrial.com/japan to claim your copy. Hello, and welcome to the History of Japan podcast, episode 359, A Nation in a Nation, part 3. I think it's fair to say that by the 1960s, Soka Gakkai was an established part of the Japanese cultural scene, something illustrated well by the fact that among the attendees for Toda Jose's funeral in 1958 was none other than the sitting prime minister, Kishi Nobusuke, and if you're wondering, no, they did not end up throwing Toda into the sea the cachet of the religion was impressive, particularly given that just 15 years earlier its leadership was all languishing in prison. To be fair, it was not the only new religion to experience big growth after the war, many of them did. However, Soka Gakkai's growth vastly outpaced that of the other new religions. To take one example, a competing new religion called Tenrikyo, which is actually older, it dates back to the 19th century, and compare their modern followings, Tenrikyo has 2 million followers around the entire world. Soka Gakkai has 6 times as many, 12 million people, all around the globe. The organization Ikeda Daisaku inherited was clearly, I think, the most successful new religion of post-war Japan by the time he came into leadership. Toda's great promulgation campaign in the 50s had been, by pretty much any standard, incredibly successful. Indeed, most of the basic structures that allowed Soka Gakkai to succeed were already in place by the time Toda Jose passed away. A religious scholar named James Allen Dator, who worked on Soka Gakkai in the 60s, identified some of the basic structures he believed led to its success. Among these were the relatively small kumi, or groups, which served as an organizational unit below what we might think of as the congregation or church level. These groups of 10 to 15 members are designed to facilitate discussion on Soka Gakkai teachings, essentially setting up seminars to facilitate new converts learning the concepts behind the faith. And there's no limit on how many Kumi you can have if they grow too much. For example, by members converting new people who then join the existing Kumi, the group just splits up into two new ones. It's a very efficient and decentralized scheme that allows people to engage with the teachings in an intimate and active setting, and which gives individual groups of Soka Gakkai believers a lot of flexibility in terms of how to approach doctrinal discussion, for example by focusing on topics of interest to the group. That flexible lower-level structure was married to an extremely rigid hierarchy that effectively subdivides Soka Gakkai membership at a variety of levels, Above the 15-person kumi, you have 30 to 100 people in a han, or group, 500 to 1,000 in the chiku, district, followed by shibu, chapters, of which there were 1,205 across Japan in 1965, then general chapters, local headquarters, and finally the international headquarters. In addition to these groupings, there are also separate geographic ones, which ensure that sokagakai cells, for lack of a better term, which happen to be in the same area, are not isolated from each other. This careful administrative arrangement allows Sokagakai to effectively mobilize its resources at any of these levels in a way that reminds me, of all things, of an organizational chart for a military. Beyond this hierarchy, Toda Jose also created a network of different interest groups for members. Youth groups, separate for boys and girls, groups for college students, housewives, laborers. At one point, there was even talk of a Soka Gakkai Union, though, as far as I know, nothing came of it. Cultural organizations for dance, poetry, and the like. Athletic clubs, bands, even a symphony orchestra. There's even a Soka Gakkai Judo School Network. The organization Toda Jose created over the course of the 1950s essentially allowed any Soka Gakkai member who wanted to, to spend pretty much all their free time with other Soka Gakkai people. The only real exception being the workplace, and even then there are some businesses associated with the group, which you could presumably find employment at. If you view the fundamental human drive as the desire to be a part of something and contribute to it in a way that feels meaningful or some variation of that concept, then being a part of Soka Gakkai made that really easy to do. Ikeda Daisaku inherited this very effective structure, and was well positioned to succeed as the group's third president based on that alone. However, he also introduced a host of new innovations to the structure of Soka Gakkai, not just doctrinal like we talked about last time, which are important in their own right. I'm going to very briefly touch on two of these and spend more time on the third. First, let's talk about Soka Gakkai's overseas work. It's not quite clear precisely when the first Soka Gakkai believers made it outside of Japan. In the case of the United States, probably during the 1950s, when Japanese nationals married to American servicemen from the occupation or from the U.S. military came back to the States with their spouses. Certainly by the 60s, Soka Gakkai had started to organize within the United States, and today it has chapters all around the world. By the 60s, Ikeda Daisaku and the other leaders of Soka Gakkai had realized the potential presented by this network of overseas believers, after all the teachings of Nietzsche and Buddhism are supposed to apply to the entire world not just to Japan. And so they started to organize a series of overseas Soka Gakkai networks today under the umbrella of Soka Gakkai International. That's why Soka Gakkai today is not just a Japanese faith but a truly international one. We'll talk more about this later but right now I want to move on to the Soka Gakkai educational system the second of these fascinating innovations because, of course, a religion founded by an educator would have its own school system. The Soka Gakkai school system is fairly small. By my count, six kindergartens, five elementary schools, three combined junior and senior high schools, equivalent to American middle and high school, two junior colleges, and two universities. Interestingly, the system doesn't just operate in Japan. Of its 20 total schools, there are one apiece in Hong Kong and Malaysia, three in Brazil, with its substantial Nikkei, or ethnically Japanese, population, two in mainland China, and one in the United States, the fairly small Soka University of America in Orange County, California. None of these schools existed prior to Ikeda's assumption of the presidency of Soka Gakkai. The very first one, Soka Gakuen Junior and Senior High School, opened in Kodaira in western Tokyo in 1968. Ikeda's vision for the system was to outline an educational curriculum based on the theories of Makiguchi Tsunesaburo, essentially proving the correctness of these ideas about teaching by putting them into practice in the group's own schools. Which, to be fair, is not exactly what I'd call a controlled test, since presumably those engaging with the Soka schools have some pre-existing attachment to Soka ideology, but still the system is an impressive one on the whole. More to the point, it serves to further the idea of Soka Gakkai as a nation within Japan itself, as well as abroad. One bound together, not by the power of an organized state government, but purely by the ideas behind Soka Gakkai teaching. Levi McLaughlin, one of the best English-language scholars on Soka Gakkai today, calls the group a mimetic nation. Mimetic is a meme, but not like dumb internet memes. Instead, he's using the original meaning of the word meme coined by Richard Dawkins, used to describe an idea that is replicated when people learn it to imitate it. A sense of belonging in a community, an identification with that community, is extremely mimetic. You learn this by imitating people who engage in the same behavior. Thus, Soka Gakkai is a nation that replicates itself. That is, it gathers new members, be they converts or the children of members, by inculcating a sense of belonging to the group in those members. And that's kind of the genius of the Soka school system, which in my view has done a lot to keep Soka Gakkai viable as a group. After all, as Ikeda Daisaku cleverly figured out, if you're looking to train people to think about their relationship to the world and to your organization in a very certain way, what better way is there to do that than a school? That's not to say this is some kind of propaganda network. So far as I can tell, browsing application materials, you don't even have to be a Soka Gakkai member to go to these schools, though there have been rumors of, for example, non-Soka Gakkai believer professors being denied tenure at some of the universities, though I don't know how substantiated those are. Frankly, though, if you were a member or were interested in becoming one, especially if you were fairly young, Well, you can see how you might pick up a pretty pro-Soka Gakkai worldview from attending a pro-Soka school. The thing about the whole nation-in-a-nation argument, though, is that national governments do have something that purely mimetic nations do not, political power. And surely that's where the whole idea of Soka Gakkai as a a nation-in-a-nation falls flat on its face, right? Well, sort of. Certainly Soka Gakkai isn't some sort of actual splinter movement trying to establish its own sovereignty or anything like that, but the group has tried to wield political power on its own, most prominently under Ikeda's leadership, and most famously through a political party all its own. Well before Soka Gakkai even existed, Nichiren sects, including Nichiren Shoshu, the branch to which Soka Gakkai belonged, held to a belief called Oobutsu Myogo, this translates as something like the fusion of the Buddha and politics. The concept is grounded, as so many Nichiren concepts are, in Nichiren's own writings. First, in a rather obscure but fascinating text known as the Sandai Hihosho, or Writings on the Three Secret Laws, which states, quote, All the people, both the rulers and the ruled, shall embrace the three great secret laws of true Buddhism, Nichiren's teachings, essentially, with Oho, political power, Fused with buppo, the Buddha's teachings, and buppo united with oho. The second source is probably Nichiren's most famous text, the Risho Ankokuron, or roughly translated, Thesis on the Pacification of the Nation by Means of Establishing Righteousness. This is the most explicitly political of Nichiren's major writings, and as the title suggests, it lays out a pretty straightforward argument. Calamities in Japan, from earthquakes and tsunamis to those Mongols that keep making vaguely threatening noises about invading, are the result of the proliferation of bad teachings, that is to say, too many people believe in the wrong kind of Buddhism. Thus, to make Japan in Ankoku a stable nation, it must first be Risho, that is to say, righteous teachings must be established. To make Japan safe and stable, Japan must be Nichirenized. That doctrine has been carried through various Nichiren sects over the years in a variety of different ways. There have been Nichiren socialist groups, as I mentioned during the first episode of the series, and of course there have been Nichiren ultranationalists who wanted to see the Japanese government, and especially the emperor, endorse their faith and make it a part of the imperial propaganda machine. So far as I know, Toda Jose was the first Soka Gakkai thinker, to take up the idea of Obutsu Myogyo in a specifically Soka Gakkai context. In 1956, he started publishing a series of articles on just this subject. That date, 1956, is not a coincidence. In that year's election for the Upper House of Counselors, three Soka Gakkai members had been elected to the Diet with the active support of the Soka Gakkai organization. Toda's articles were his attempt to defend his own decision to get his religious group explicitly involved in politics by endorsing and running its own candidates. As he put it, quote, the campaign for the last House of Counselors election drew considerable attention from society. That we as a religious organization should put forward some of our members as politicians has provoked debate on various points both internally and externally. At present, all sorts of diluted opinions are being bandied about. For example, that we intend to make Nietzsche and Shoshu the state religion, or that in several decades our members will dominate both houses of the Diet, or that Soka Gakkai will seize control of the Japanese government. But our interest in politics lies solely in Kosen Rufu, the spread of Namumyo Rengekyo of the Three Great Secret Laws. Establishing the Kokuretsu Kaidan is our only purpose. So there's a lot going on there, starting with the fact that I just threw some untranslated Japanese terminology at you. First we have this idea of kosen rufu, which is not easy to translate. Kosen means something like publicly declare, ru means current, as in the current of a river, and fu refers to a bolt of cloth. In this context, spreading out and covering something like you're throwing a cloth sheet on it. This specific term comes from the Lotus Sutra. Nichiren interpreted it to mean actively taking a role in propagating the truth, that is to say, his views, instead of living a life of solitary contemplation like, say, a Zen monk would. So kosen rufu means something like publicly spreading the truth of the Lotus Sutra all around. namu myo Horenge kyo is of course the chant used to praise the Lotus Sutra. The three great secret laws refer to three concepts considered fundamental to Nichiren: the Honzon, object of reverence; the Kaidan, the place where one engages in reverence; and the daimoku, the chant used to express reverence. It's all very technical at a level of theological detail I don't want to get into, and of course the interpretation of each of those concepts is different in the various strands of Nichiren Buddhism. But basically, the three great secret laws are the method by which a Nichiren believer worships. They show reverence to something related to the Lotus Sutra, precisely what is, of course, a substantial metaphysical debate on its own, by chanting with pure intention. Then there's the whole location aspect to it that again gets deep into Buddhist ontology and frankly is a bit much for what we're talking about. And then there's the actual chant. Finally, we have this term, kokuretsu Kaidon and here is a concept that is tricky to say the least. It literally means something like National Ordination Platform, and is supposed to be the culminating moment of the Nichiren Project, the moment when the state establishes an official platform to promote Nichiren teachings. The construction of this platform is supposed to mark the achievement of the political ends of Nichiren Buddhism. This is the point when Japan becomes a secure nation, by promoting correct teaching. The platform symbolizes the state embracing the correct view of Buddhism, which is to say, converting to Nichiren Buddhism, and promoting the faith's teachings as part of official state policy. The construction of the Kokuritsu Kaidon would mark, in other words, the triumph of Soka Gakkai as a state-sponsored faith, a goal of the movement going back to Nichiren himself. Indeed, more right-wing branches of Nichiren had actually pushed for the emperor to decree the establishment of a Kokuritsu Kaidan since the Meiji period, though Soka Gakkai's version was to be established by law of the diet, in keeping with the new age of Japanese democracy. So in essence, Toda's stated goal was to use politics to put into action ideas and principles derived from Nichiren doctrine with the goal of making Japan essentially a Nichiren state. And, at first glance, that's a pretty big no-no, because Article 20 of the post-war constitution is pretty clear. Quote, "...freedom of religion is guaranteed to all, no religious organization shall receive any privileges from the state nor exercise any political authority," and a bit later down the line, "...the state and its organs shall refrain from religious education or any other religious activity." Now, of course, there is a counter-argument to this, one deployed by both Toda and other politicians who belong to exclusivist religions and who operate in nations with religious freedom laws. It's true that you can't force the state to propagate your faith, but as a politician you can make decisions that are informed by your faith because that's what representatives do, they're chosen to make decisions by voters. If, within the bounds of the law, they have the option to make decisions that advance values informed by their faith they have the ability to do so. Toto would use arguments like this to defend Soka Gakkai's involvement in politics. He was also careful to state during his own time running the organization that there would be limits on Soka Gakkai's involvement politically. It would not run politicians for the lower house, which actually has more influence than the upper house because it picks the prime minister, nor would the group organize a formal political party but there was still a lot of controversy around Soka Gakkai's step into politics, especially the very next year, when some of Soka Gakkai's members were arrested in Osaka for, in essence, trying to bribe members into voting for Soka candidates. By the way, among their number, none other than Ikeda Daisaku. Concerns that Soka Gakkai was trying to reintroduce religion into politics and revive the very worst aspects of the old state Shinto system abounded. That's why Toda had to spend so much time in his writing trying to defuse those tensions. But once Ikeda took charge of Soka Gakkai, it didn't take him long to move beyond Toda's limited goals. On May 3rd, 1964, Ikeda announced that Soka Gakkai was going to set up its own political party, called the Kome Seiji Renme, or Clean Government League. That party has since gone through several name changes over its lifetime. It's best known by the name it's used for the longest time and the one it's currently using today, the Kolmeito, or Clean Government Party. The Kolmeito enjoyed pretty immediate electoral success. Its platform, key Obutsu myogo and Buddhist Democracy, was pretty clearly just an invitation for all Soka Gakkai members to vote for the group and oh boy did they vote for it. The Cometo's first election was in 1965 for the House of Councilors, and the party picked up 20 seats, about one-sixth of the entire upper house. It was easily the third-largest party in the House, after the governing Liberal Democrats and the Opposition Socialists. In its first lower house elections in 1967, the Cometo grabbed 25 seats, putting them fourth overall, behind the LDP, the Socialists, and the Splinter Democratic Socialists. And the successes just continued. In the 1969 general elections, the Kometo picked up 22 more seats, for a total of 47, now the third largest party in both houses of the Diet. Though admittedly the margin was pretty wide, the number two-spot socialists had 90 seats, so about twice as many as the Kometo. The political success of Soka Gakkai in these three elections was by any measure incredible. It also brought a lot of criticism. Throughout the 1960s, there was a proliferation of articles and books questioning the legality of Soka Gakkai's involvement in politics under the banner of Article 20, which, again, prohibits religious organizations from wielding political power. Alongside this legal concern, there was the constant question about Soka Gakkai's long-term goals. Doesn't the whole idea of the Kokuritsu Kaidan and Obutsu myogo mean they're trying to use the ballot box to impose a state religion? Ikeda Daisaku certainly didn't do himself any favors in trying to manage these critiques. When they first began to emerge around the time of the formation of the Kometo, he tried to head them off by redefining aspects of the Kometo platform, most notably the bit about the National Ordination Platform, which he now insisted simply meant some sort of public monument symbolizing the goal of a happy society and which would be established democratically. Which is, of course, very different from trying to get government endorsement for a place to preach your religion. This proved to be an insufficient step, and that's not that surprising, given the whole business about fusion of religion and state power and such that was literally written in to the platform of the Cometo. The barrage of criticism kept coming, most notably in the form of a book released in 1969, by the Japanese political scientist Fujiwara Hirotatsu, the title of the book was Soka Gakkai Okiru, literally something like "slaying Soka Gakkai," but commonly translated into English as "I denounce Soka Gakkai." The title alone gives you a fair sense of what the book is about. In essence, Fujiwara accused Ikeda Daisaku and his followers of preying on the insecurity of members to get them to join. More on that next week. And using the Kometo to advance a dangerous fusion of religious and political power. According to Fujiwara, Ikeda Daisaku, who has always denied this story, retaliated through the Kometo. The Kometo chair supposedly called in a favor from the LDP's then chief secretary, who in turn reached out to Fujiwara to try and get him to kill the book prior to publication. By the way, the chief secretary who did this favor? Tanaka Kakue. Fujiwara retaliated by releasing the book, complete with a foreword where he claimed he was being pressured by Soka Gakkai to walk back his claims, and refused to do so. The Gakkai organization itself has always denied all the charges leveled by Fujiwara, but the whole thing was a real PR disaster, however you slice it. Eventually, in 1970, Ikeda announced that Soka Gakkai and the Komeito would formally separate their leadership, and that Soka Gakkai would abandon the concept of The Kokuritsu Kaidon altogether, in favor of a monument to be built purely by members of the faith rather than by the state. The month after this announcement, the Kometo revised its platform to be secular. There's still a very strong relationship between Soka Gakkai and the Kometo, though they are not quite one and the same anymore. Soka Gakkai is still a strong constituency for the party, about one half of the Kometo's voters are Soka Gakkai members. And Soka Gakkai and Komeito leadership do still occasionally meet, though they characterize the meetings as constituent representative meetings, and the meetings are public. However, none of this has really removed the impression that the Komeito is the political wing of Soka Gakkai. The Komeito itself has had some pretty wild political fortunes over the past few decades. It started off as a center-left opposition party, that generally voted with the socialists more than the governing LDP. When the LDP was removed from power by a center-left coalition for the first time in its history in 1993, the Kometo was a part of that center-left alliance. However, this brief attempt at non-LDP government in the 90s ended up with the governing coalition imploding and the LDP taking political power back in 1995. In the aftermath, the Kometo split up and reformed into a few different parties. The current incarnation of the Kometo is actually more what I'd call center-right than center-left, and is currently a part of the governing coalition of the liberal-democratic party that runs Japan. It's also currently the fourth-largest party in the lower house of the Diet, with 29 seats. Ikeda Daisaku's effort to inject Soka Gakkai into the political world Met with mixed results, though again, the Kometo is one of the more important minor parties in Japan currently. The organization's history is frankly an interesting microcosm of Ikeda Daisaku's tenure as leader of Soka Gakkai more generally. A combination of organizational brilliance that led to a truly rapid ascent in the political world, combined with a bizarre failure to manage what seems like a fairly easy PR issue, in a way that, to a certain extent, continues to harm the image of Soka Gakkai to this day, more on that next week. The last big project of Ikeda Daisaku's that I want to talk about today was his replacement for the aborted project of the Kokuritsu Kaidon, the National Ordination Platform, which was supposed to mark the triumph of the project of Kosen Rufu, the spreading of Soka Gakkai all over Japan, and eventually all over the world. Well before Ikeda formally abandoned this goal as a part of the Kometo platform in 1970, he seems to have foreseen that it was not going to succeed, or at minimum that it was not politically expedient in 1960s Japan to talk about something that sounded an awful lot like a state-sponsored religious activity. As early as 1965, Ikeda began shifting the focus away from the Kokuritsu Kaidan project, and towards something that he would identify as a more worthy goal. Remember that Soka Gakkai was, in the 60s, still a part of the Nichiren Shoshu branch of Nichiren Buddhism, which, thanks to Soka Gakkai's explosive growth about 5 million households by the mid-60s, was now far larger than it had ever been at pretty much any time in its history. As a result, the Nichiren Shoshu head temple at Taisekiji was now seeing a volume of pilgrims far greater than it ever had before. Ikeda's new goal was to build a new hall of worship on the grounds of Taisekiji, which he wanted to call the Hondo, or Grand Main Sanctuary, to accommodate this huge uptick in traffic to the temple. It was to be built using donations from Soka Gakkai members, anxious to prove their devotion to the faith. Thus, according to Ikeda, this new hall would serve as a national ordination platform of a sort, since it was open to all members of the nation, and would be created democratically, by voluntary expressions of faith in Soka Gakkai by its members. The structure was to fulfill the role of the Kokuritsu Kaidan, though that term was dropped in favor of the more neutral Honmon no Kaidan, Honmon being the term for the latter half of the Lotus Sutra, which outlines the nature of the Buddha himself. Basically, Ikeda revised his goal from a state-sponsored vehicle for promoting Soka Gakkai to simply creating a new wing for its primary temple, a pretty substantial walking back of the original goal, but one more compatible with the political norms of the time. Of course, Ikeda's project was announced to great fanfare among the membership. When he first announced plans for the Shohondo in 1964, he also announced there would be a fundraising drive the following year, That drive would last for exactly four days, October 9th to 12th, 1965. Soka Gakkai members were encouraged to save up over the course of the preceding year and contribute as much as they possibly could. Turns out, timed exclusivity is a winning marketing strategy most of the time. Ikeda was able to raise an incredible amount of money, 35.5 billion yen. At the going exchange rate of 1965, that was about 98 million dollars, Today, that would be about $808 million. Ikeda was able to use this money to retain one of the most famous architects of the time, Yokoyama Kimio, as well as several contractors, and thus to start building something he claimed at least would fulfill a centuries-long dream of the Nichiren faith. Of course, the cynical among you might note that this whole idea of this platform was supposed to be that its construction marked the completion of Kosen Rufu. It indicates the complete victory of the Nichiren faith in Japan. Sokagakai was big by this point, certainly, but by no means did it represent anything close to all of Japan. Ikeda had a clever workaround for this, of course. He dug back to a classical work of Chinese Buddhism called the Dajir Dulun, or Treatise on Liberation Through Great Wisdom. It tells the story of the 25 years the Shakyamuni Buddha, the guy you think of when you hear the term the Buddha, spent ministering in a city called Srasvati in northeastern India. Despite his long campaign of ministry there, according to the Dajur Doolun, only one-third of the city's inhabitants had seen the Buddha speak in person. Another third had heard of him but not seen him, the final third had neither seen nor heard of him. Ikeda put this forward as a sort of formula for when Kosen Rufu would be achieved. By his reading, if one-third of the country joined Soka Gakkai, another one-third were Kometo voters, then that would complete the Srasvati formula and prove the triumph of Nichiren in Japan, a highly ambitious goal but one more achievable in the time frame Ikeda had set for the construction of the Shohondo. Now, my high school teacher persona... have me call that a creative interpretation of the original materials, which is a code for not at all grounded in the original logic. And indeed, Nichiren Shoshu members outside of Soka Gakkai, especially the other lay societies of Nichiren Shoshu whose influence had been totally eclipsed by Soka Gakkai, criticized Ikeda for essentially rewriting Nichiren doctrine to suit his own political ambitions. After all, Nichiren tradition was pretty clear on what a national ordination platform was supposed to be, and what qualified in terms of the condition for its construction. This was not it. This particular tiff between Soka Gakkai and other members of the Nichiren Shoshu faith simmered for years, spearheaded by another Nichiren Shoshu lay society called the Myo Shinko. The conflict culminated in 1974, when Myoshinko staged a series of public protests in Meiji Park in Tokyo against Soka Gakkai, very publicly drawing attention to the internal disputes within Nichiren Shoshu. At this point, the priesthood of Nichiren Shoshu actually had to step in and get involved to get the infighting under control, and the intervention was pretty drastic. Myoshinko was ordered to dissolve outright. Apparently, Outright calling out another Nichiren Shoshu group in public, not to mention the largest Nichiren Shoshu group, was a step too far. However, Myoshinko's protests did result in at least one important change. The Nichiren Shoshu priesthood also ordered Ikeda Daisaku to stop referring to the Shohondo project, which by 1974 was just months away from completion, as a fulfillment of the Kokuritsu Kaidan slash Honmon no Kaidan concept as put forward by Nichiren. In other words, the priesthood was now saying that Ikeda's whole project, his whole reason for building this hall, was grounded in wrong theology. The hall he spent so much time building did not represent the fulfillment of Nichiren's desire for a national ordination platform. Maybe it could one day, but not even Ikeda's generously reinterpreted Srasvati formula could convince the Nichiren Shoshu priesthood that the fulfillment of Nichiren Buddhism in Japan was complete. Ultimately, the Shohondo did open in 1974, and became a major Nichiren Shoshu pilgrimage site. So big, in fact, that the town in Shizuoka Prefecture, where Taisekiji is located, was able to apply for and receive a new bullet train or Shinkansen station, Shin Fuji Station, if you're wondering, to service the volume of pilgrims coming to the area. If you look at photos of the Shohondo, it's really a remarkable piece of architecture. It's this fascinating blend of traditional style, with that 70s brutalist concrete shtick that was so big at the time. I think it's a remarkable design that really does provide a feeling of grandeur. I'd recommend you go see it yourself, I'd want to go myself, honestly. But you can't. It's not there anymore. What happened? Well, it was ripped down in the 1990s, on order of the Nichiren Shoshu priesthood. So how did that come to pass? Well, that's the plan for next week. We're going to spend some time discussing, spoilers, the split between Soka Gakkai and Nichiren Shoshu that led to Soka Gakkai becoming an independent Nichiren sect all its own. And to cap things off, we're going to take some time to discuss at least a little bit some of the mini-controversies surrounding Soka Gakkai, which I have been doing my best not to discuss that much for the first few episodes because I wanted to give them sustained focus. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. We're not there yet. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Special thanks this week to new patrons Lachlan Ganon, Mikhailo Seliznov, and Solomon Rigney for donating to support the show. To join them, to find out more about this week's episode or any other episode, or to submit your ideas for future episodes, check out the podcast webpage at isaacmeyer.net, that's I-S-A-A-C-M-E-Y-E-R dot net, or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash historyofjapanpodcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week for the fourth and final part.